Welcome to Identity Talk, a show dedicated to unearthing stories about compelling people, doing compelling things, and making compelling discoveries about who they are. I'm Jana Lopez, your hostess. Each episode of Identity Talk, you'll discover illuminating conversations with guests from all walks of life. My life's mission as a book coach, writing guide, and retreat leader is to guide people like you towards clarity and connection through writing. I blend experience and intuition to take your writing to unimaginable results in your creativity and productivity. I offer private and small group retreats in stunning Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm the published author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. If it's time to unearth your own stories, write that book and need clarity, guidance, or support, visit JanaLopez.com. And now, let the unearthing of stories begin on Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, konnichiwa, wherever you are on this planet at this time that you are listening to my voice and these words. I am Jana Lopez, and I am the hostess of Identity Talk. And as some of you know who have listened to the show before, this show gives an opportunity to have in-depth conversations with very interesting people doing very interesting things that show up in the world in very interesting ways. And, you know, most of the people I would say, I've had, I don't know, 40 guests already or something, but they've all been just so cool and have a very unique take on life. And so today's guest, Matt Hart, is no exception. And there's a reason why people come on to the show. I've had some contact with them or find out something interesting. Matt was a mentor, professor, teacher at my graduate school program for my MFA, which I call the motherfucking awesome, but the masters of fine arts at Pacific Northwest College of Art. I was a creative writing major. And Matt was one of the teachers and mentors and people who really shaped my understanding and willingness to have that understanding for poetry and writing in a way that's free and, um, I don't know, just expansive, I guess, for lack of a better term. So before I give Matt's formal profile, I'll say welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's It's nice nice to to see see you. you. Yes, (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) You owe me a Coke. So Matt Hart is an author of many books. His recent book is going to be out very soon in the next couple of weeks. November 1st. November 1st. And the book is titled Familiar. He's also written nine other books of poems, which I have one and we're going to talk about. Additionally, his poems, reviews, and essays have appeared or are forthcoming in numerous print and online journals. 
His awards include a Pushcart Prize, a grant from the Shifting Foundation, and fellowships from the Bread Loaf Writers Conference and the Warren Wilson College MFA Program for Writers. He was the co-founder and editor-in-chief for Forklift Ohio, a journal of poetry, cooking, and light industrial safety <laughs> from 1993 to 2019. And currently, he's in Cincinnati, where he teaches at the Art Academy of Cincinnati, co-edits the journal Sorted, and plays in the band Never Knew. Dude's busy and creative. Yeah, definitely busy. There's no doubt about that. It's like juggling, uh, juggling all of those, you know, various things trying to, and then I have a 16 year old in the house as well. So um, there's a lot going on here. And then there's that, there is the 16 year old in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go back to a couple of years ago when I was a student in a first year creative writing program at Pacific Northwest College of Art. There were I want to say eight or nine mentors that and, about right. and you were one of them and it's a low residency program, which means every uh, year, twice a year, the students and the teachers get together for like two weeks of workshops and writing and talking and, and um, lectures. And it's kind of an intensive all encompassing two weeks, but that, that was a really Amazing and wonderful experience, I think, as a writer to be exposed to so many ideas and teachers and divergent forms of writing in such a short time. What is it like for you as a teacher to be there with these hopeful, sometimes lacking confidence students? <laughs> you know, I think it's just as intense for the mentors uh, as it is for the students, because obviously, um, because it's low res, we're all, or most of us are traveling from wherever we live, right. And coming to wherever the residency happens to be. Um, so you're up ending your life, right. You're going away for two weeks or 10 days or whatever it is it, to do this intensive sort of work. And, you know, you want to, you want to be there for everybody and you want to do, a good job and you want to make sure that you're prepared and you want to make sure that you're open-hearted and that you're being generous and that you're, um, you know, a real person. <laughs> um, and, but you have to be on all the time and you're on, you have to be on with the students, but you have to be on with the other faculty members and, uh, you know, everybody in the program is, uh, so incredibly smart and talented and right. um it takes a little while to um sort of understand like where you what your place is in the program and and how you can be most helpful and so there's always this sort of adjustment period at the beginning of the residency where you're trying to figure out um you know exactly what your role is and then of course you have duties that you have to perform so you lead a workshop, you give a talk, you give a reading, all of that sort of stuff. So you have to be prepared for that. Um, and for me, it's like really, you know, I said, uh, you have to kind of up, upend your life. And for me, um, that's kind of a major thing because I have a real process 
at home and maybe process is something we can talk about. Yes, we will. um, But I write every day and it is important for me to do that because it is the way that I engage with and make sense of other people and the world in my experience. Um, And it is the thing that sort of electrifies my life and keeps me going. And while I did write at the residency, uh, it's not the same as like having your own things around you and, um, you know, and sometimes it's nice. It's a nice change to like write somewhere else and write in a different kind of way, but it definitely um, changes the process. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely writing in a, in a different environment absolutely affects the outcome of the words, the engagement with the words, the quality of the words and the ease of finding those words. And you had told me something interesting when we were there, you had written the same poem every day for, was it a year? Yeah. So talk to me about that because I, that always stands out to me. And that's something that I've often thought about assigning students or even doing myself. So tell me about what that was. Yeah. The way that happened was at the residency, I was trying to do some writing and I actually wrote a poem. I think it was maybe three pages long. Um, And I typically don't write longhand, but I wrote this longhand because I didn't have um, my typewriter with me. I often type on a old Remington noiseless number seven from 1947. Uh, And I like typing on, yeah, I like typing on a typewriter because uh, I can't revise as I go, you know, the Mm -hmm. way that I can on a computer. So whatever I put down on the page is there and I can exit out, but I still have to contend with the fact that I exit out. So anyway, I wrote this poem longhand and I think I felt like maybe there was something there, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I felt kind of good about it. And so the next day I looked at that poem again mm-hmm. and I still felt like there was something there, but I was like, why don't I just, I'll just put this aside. I read it one time. I said, I'll put it aside. I'll just rewrite it from memory and whatever sticks whatever I remember will be really important stuff and if new stuff comes into the process then that's fine so I did that and I liked it and then I did it again the next day so I looked at the poem that I'd written the second day tried to rewrite that from memory and then I just kept going um and so in some ways it was like playing this long game of telephone with myself Mm -hmm. um And all the poems, you know, there would be lines that would repeat. Um, There'd be phrases that would repeat, but new things would come in. So all the poems were sort of talking to each other. Hmm. They were all related. There's a sort of similarity. Um, And actually some of those wound up, they're part of the new book, Familiar, that's coming out. But then there's a whole other manuscript of them that's called The Familiars. Mm -hmm. Um, Every poem is a rumor you know, Mm. um, Mm -hmm. and that conversation, um, changes and develops and morphs, um, you know, over, over a lot of time. So yeah, I did that every day for a year. Um, it was a really exciting process too, to think about what are the, what are the aspects of this that, um, are repeating again and again. Like there was this, there's this image, image of um, owls, owls 
stuffed with images, which themselves are stuffed with images. And that mm-hmm. like kept coming up over and over and over again. Um, so it's like Matroshka owls mm-hmm. were are a big part of this, a big part of these poems, but also um, reaching out and trying to connect with other people. So I'm trying to connect one poem to another, right? But I also think of poetry as um, an art form, which is um, very definitely part of this endless game of call and response. And maybe, you know, um, the first call was like the, the big bang and everything that's ever happened since then, every tree, every leaf, every ladybug, every earthquake, every human being, every painting, every poem that's ever been written, right, is a response in some way to that initial call, but all of those things are themselves a new call. So a big part of life and a big part of this process for me is like being a part of this endless game of call and response that makes me feel like I'm alive and like I'm a part of something that's that's larger than myself. Um, I love that. I mean, I definitely love that because, I mean, first of all, I'm going to somehow uh, <laughs> immoralize every poem is a rumor. <laughs> it's such a damn good line. Um, but it's interesting as people become disillusioned and disconnected, disenfranchised, and there's this sense of hashtagging and tweeting and and social media being like the uh, way people interject meaning into their lives, even though it's like, I, I call it like the bulimia of existence, because the illusion is that you stuff yourself with these things. And you know, and and you can't you, you basically it's empty, whatever it is, because you just regurgitate it out. And there's no nutrients that you're left with. Your body becomes depleted. So I look at the emotional body as depleted because of how we ingest so-called information. But to me, poetry has been the one thing which has opened me up to more meaning and poignancy and room to breathe into meaning. Like I can read a poem and not get it. But but today where I sit now, I'm no longer impatient and I recognize that I just need to hang out with it and let its meaning sort of infiltrate or penetrate or rise to the occasion. I'm not going to love every poem, but I would say the conversations I've had with you and that I had with Brandon Shimoda, who was my mentor, really changed my life and my ability to understand the power of what poetry can hold and what it, how it can feel more importantly, what it is like with the feeling of it. And so how do you teach to students the significance of poetry as an art form and as an expression, because you described it as air in the beginning, like needing that oxygen and the way you describe it as an endless game of call and response to the universe and what's happening I get it. I might not have gotten it three years ago, but I get it now. So how, and I teach this. So how do you teach this? How do you instill poetry as part of cultural currency and the breath of life? I think it's, I think in some ways it's a, uh, it's, 
it's a little bit of a hard sell. I mean, I teach undergraduate um, artists for the most part, right? Because mm -hmm. I teach at an art college. Uh, and they are used to, um, as you said, you know, consuming everything really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they don't get something, they just want to move on, right? Mm -hmm. It's too hard to sort of sit with one thing. So a big part of teaching poetry, right, is to get people to slow down. I think that poetry requires that we slow down. And part of the reason that it requires that we slow down is because, and th this is, this will, you know, this is a weird thing for a poetry teacher to say, but a, a great majority of poetry, especially poetry that's been written in the 20th and 21st century, is not about anything. Poetry suggests things, reminds us of things, points to things, expresses things, but maybe it's not about anything in particular. And and what I mean by that is it's it's not narrative exactly, or it's not in resist or it's in resistance to narrative in a certain kind of way. And when that happens, you know, when you don't have a series of events ordered in time, when you have something more like impressions or connections or constellations of images mm -hmm. and music, then we have to think about another way of, of reading. You can't read top to bottom, you know, left, left to right, top to bottom, down the page for comprehension. You have to find another way to go about asking questions that allow you into the poem. And, you know, an analogy I often use is that if we went to see, you know, uh, a, a jazz concert tonight and uh, the musicians were amazing and they're improvising wildly and we come out at the end of it and we both say, that was great. And I say, Jana, what was that about? Like the question, what is it about? Doesn't make any sense. But the question, what did that remind you of? What do you associate that with? How would you describe or articulate the expression Um you know, can you make any connections to other things that you've heard or seen or thought about in your own life? And I think poetry offers us opportunities to make connections that we wouldn't make otherwise. And it offers us connections to pay attention in really important ways that I worry sometimes are being lost to us because everything is so fast and consumable. And so, you know, the idea of writing the same poem, rewriting the same poem every day for a year, right, is this, um, it's almost a, you know, a test of endurance, like, can, you know, can you stick with this one thing sort of every day for a year, knowing that it's going to change, mm -hmm. but can you slow down long enough to, like, allow this thing to develop sort of as it will, and, I think that slowing down that way can be really rewarding. So when I talk to students, uh, you know, the first thing I do is I try to get them to really read a poem. You have to really slow down. You have to describe the poem. You have to say all the things that nobody wants to say because we're so used to consuming art and consuming literature, particularly in terms of saying, okay, well, what is this about? What's, right. the, what's the main point? What are the themes, right? There's so much more to say. And especially with poetry, um, which, you know, is uh, 
formally different than prose in many ways. And uh, very often poems create a kind of atmosphere, they activate an atmosphere of language that, uh, you know, it's not only about what the words say, but it's about how they say it. And it's also what they point to culturally, associatively, etymologically, right. historically, all of that is activated in the moment. I know it's, it is so it's cool. all there, but you have to describe it. I know. You gotta really describe it. Um, and I think so, getting people to recognize that it's not what it was or how it was taught. I mean, for me, that's the first step I take because I teach a lot of contemporary poetry because that's what I learned being in graduate school with you and Brandon right, and right, right. Jay. And, you know, so I learned more about the contemporary poets. And I think helping people unlearn what they've learned and to dispel the myths that you have to have a secret handshake or you have to have a, some, you know, uh, leather on your corduroy jacket on your elbows and yeah. a pipe and that there's this stuffy elitist perception that's hold, uh, held over from however poetry has been taught. So for me, it takes some time of stepping back and getting past that. And then I might take a poem from somebody uh, like a Native American or, or, Oregon, or a New Mexico Oregon or New Mexico poet laureate, Levi Romero, beautiful poetry, and he's very accessible. And so I might teach something where people can see themselves in the everyday distillation of what happens in, in our humanness. Yeah. And that, that feels like, um, once I do that, then I feel like what you, the way you describe it, like I feel the aliveness in it to, to recognize that everything happens in this one moment, like yeah. it all comes together. It all combusts yeah, and it lingers. I mean, right. I mean, you know, the, so the medium of poetry, right. Is, is, is language and, you know, language is the only artistic material that can be used to talk about itself, which is really strange because we're used to encountering and thinking about language in a very particular way. And I like what you said about having to kind of unlearn um, a way of reading. I mean, I, I think um, many times uh, people think about you know, the important thing in reading anything is to turn pages. Like, I want to read, I got to read as many pages as I can, right? It's all about the quantity of, of that experience. And I want to say, slow down, spend a, spend a week with one poem. And when you feel like you've articulated sort of everything there is to articulate about it in terms of you know, describing its form, its structure, its content, its music, you know, like really revel in that and then, and then move on if you want. And maybe a week is, is too long, although I definitely have spent a week with one poem, but it's, it's not about turning pages. It's about being present with this, um, with this work of art where every single word is a choice that someone made. My assumption is always deliberately because I want to be a generous reader. 
And as a result, there's a lot there to really think about. And there are so many places that a, that a, that a single poem can take you. I love that. I, I do love that. And the thing about writing poetry or reading poetry and what I, what I hope to give and convey to people is that shit is fucked up right now. I mean, it's not that there's never been a time when it hasn't been. So we've, we've lived through trying times always, but right now people feel so disconnected and to find tethers through words and through art and through expression, whether you're writing or reading and, and making those two attributes coalesce more so that you're writing as you're reading and you're reading as you're writing, right? Like, and you're being written and you're being, you know what? I did not think of that. And you're being written. That is beautiful. That's why you're, that's why you're, that's why you're you. You know, that's, that's why you're, that is so true. I never really thought of that, but it, but it's true. And um, people always ask me, do you believe you can rewrite your story? Like I get that question a lot and it's a fair question. And I, where I land today, cause it could change tomorrow, but where I land today is you can't rewrite your story, but you can reimagine your story and there's a difference. And um, I think the reading and the writing and being written of through poetry is where that reimagining happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just think about the imagination, right. As the faculty that allows us to render the world in terms other than it is. And so, you know, yeah, there are certain, there are certain aspects of our lives, which, which we can't change, but via the imagination, we can consider other possibilities rather than the way the world is, the way the world might be. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely certain that poetry can change the world, but I think that it can in some ways make us better people and help us see other possibilities that will allow us to change the world in other contexts where that can happen. Um, and certainly I know because it's happened to me and I've seen it happen to students many, many times over the years, right? That poetry can change us, that reading a poem, you know, can, can move me, mm -hmm. but it also, it also, like reading a poem does in fact write me in a certain way it adds experience to my life sometimes it adds actual words to my vocabulary mm -hmm. sometimes it adds um a connection to uh a, a voice or an idea that i wasn't familiar with before or that i didn't uh have a lot of experience with right and if you're open-hearted with that it changes you mm -hmm. and you know maybe not dramatically but 
read a thousand poems and you'll change dramatically. That's a good challenge too. I mean, whether, and for anybody out there who's just not read any poems and I'm happy to recommend any, feel free to email me because I've got so many poems that are just so beautiful, but, and it's not really even a challenge because that work is, that word is kind of cliche and expectant. But if you invite yourself to even read one poem, just to see what it is, or spend three days in a row reading a poem or a week or whatever designated amount of time and to explore because the poetry realm and the landscape is vast and you're never going to love every poem you read. I I understand that. You're never going to get every poem that you read. You're never going to fully uh, feel like, you know, you're as smart as the professor with the, all the pedigrees and PhDs. However, there's usually always one thing I can find in a piece, even if I don't love the piece or don't get the piece, or I feel like it's not my cup of tea, there's something in there. And that's what I think is the invitation is to look at it like an abstract painting. If you were to be asked to look at an abstract painting and say, well, this is what it means, it would make no sense. But you can look at an abstract painting and you get a feeling from it. Something is evoked. And that's the way I try to teach people to access poetry is to look at it. It doesn't have to mean anything. It's about whatever is in there that you find and how it makes you feel. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I mean, I think that poetry especially when it's read out loud is experienced as music first and foremost not as written content Mm -hmm. um but i also think that like the hardest thing to get people to understand is to 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 that when you're reading a poem um you can you can definitely ask like what do i think this is about you can do that you can do that but there are a lot of poems that are going to resist you being able to answer that question. And so if that happens, what do you do? Well, then you can, you can think, all right, how, how does this work if I try and experience this as if it were music? Like if I'm just listening to the sounds in relation to the words, or if you say, you know, again, like what does this poem suggest or what does it remind me of, or what does it point to, or is there like one image or one phrase that I think is, um, somehow really interesting or surprising or shocking or relevant to my life. What, where is the sort of electrical current that's going through this, this piece for me, you know? And yeah, you won't like everything and you won't get something maybe out of absolutely everything. Uh, but most of the time you will. But again, it requires like, slowing down and thinking about reading in a different way and thinking about you know language in a different way than we're used to i mean reading a poem is not the same as reading a newspaper it's not the same as reading a a magazine article it's not the same as reading a even a uh you know a short story or a cereal box (laughs) yeah absolutely right or a cereal box or a billboard i mean it's not the same (laughs) Even if you have a poem that's in the form of uh, a billboard or the copy on a cereal box, 
you're going to ask different questions about it because it's a poem. So, you know, poetry comes to us with, because of what it is, with possibilities for meaning making, for meaningfulness that uh, other language doesn't have because it's not trying to do the thing that a poem is trying to do. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I always think about it as like sort of activating an atmosphere somehow like that, that the poet, the poem is a site of the, the activation of the charge of, of, of language. Um, I know that sounds like really abstract, but I do think of poems as being alive and full of electrical charge and full of energy and exciting and sometimes exciting in the ways that they flummox me. Um, you know, I even think there are some poems that are sort of written in such a way that they become decorative or they become boring and deliberately so. And those poems that you know, dec decorativeness or even boredom can be of value. We don't all often think of them that way, but they, it's possible to think of it that way. I'm always like with my students, I'm always like, if you are reading this thing and you start to get irritated, register that. What is it that's irritating you about it? Or if you think that it's confusing, what is confusing about it? Like, what is it ab ab about the language itself? about the form, the structure, the content that is confusing you? And is that something you can try to find a way to fall in love with? Because I want, I, you know, I say to my students, and, and it's hard to, to make this happen, but it's like, I want them to fall in love with everything we read somehow. So how do you find your love? And sometimes, you know, you can love things that other people don't love so much. So you could read a poem and you could realize, oh, wow, this poem is totally resisting my ability to read it. How cool is that? Like, I love that. You know, I love being kicked out of the poem and then having to come back to it and being kicked out of it again by the poem. That can be super fun. Um, but, you know, it requires a sort of different way of like approaching a work of literature. Um, and I know that that's, you know, that's something that uh, sometimes takes a while for people to learn. Did you write the lyrics for your band Never Knew? The, the, because I, I listened to some of that and I looked at the lyrics. I'm like, that has you all over it. And there was <laughs> um, one from the, the song Summer. So I just want to read the small stanza because it's just so beautiful. And I want people who are listening to just imagine what is this stanza saying? What are these words saying? And what do you get from it, if anything? Normally, I'd have you read it, but you don't know what I'm going to share. So I'm going to read it, but I'll have you read something. Uh, okay. Ice cream, trucks, a cool reminder. Some things only wilt behind us. Standing in the snow, feet so fucking cold. You said I should yank my tongue out. I said you should make me into azaleas by the hour. 
stars are more than fire. Yeah. Damn, beautiful. <laughs> so Thank beautiful. You. I love that. Stars are more than fire. It's funny. I don't, you know, I often get people ask me about the sort of difference between writing lyrics and writing poems and um, or if there is a difference. And for me, there is a re there is a big difference because poems are the words and the music in the very same breath. And, you know, when I'm writing lyrics, it's it's one piece of a, of a sort of larger puzzle where there is this sort of musical accompaniment and I tend to be more impressionistic with lyrics. Um, I tend to worry less about um, trying to say something sort of directly, like I'm willing to be really pretty angular with lyrics uh, in a way that with poetry, I'm always trying to come back. I'm always trying to find a way to begin the poem and end the poem in a way where there's some kind of, you know, connectedness. Um, and I think summer actually is funny because I think that those lyrics are probably more uh, sensible in a traditional sense than a lot of the lyrics that I, that I write, but. Um, I don't know why those lyrics, I mean, when I, when I read it, it just reminded me of your poetry because I've read your poetry and the sensibility about always always tucking in some unreasonable surprise yeah, yeah i guess yeah, yeah. for lack of a better yeah. term no i do that <laughs> yeah i mean and that and it's like uh and i love that and there's something like urgent and um questioning like inquisitive about your your poetry it's very um playful too you have a very playful element to your works and um it's unapologetic, you know, and I know that's a cliche of a word too, but there's just, it's just presented as it is. And I don't feel like you're trying to make it become anything other than what it is. Yeah. I mean, very often, you know, the, the poems are, um, in addition to whatever else they may be, um, they are a record of a process. It's the process of sitting down and starting to write and to try to follow those words somewhere to to just to be surprised to discover something yes to, yes to, to allow the the poem to um take shape and you know as i'm writing i'm trying to be on the lookout for when the poem opens its eyes and says i'm alive and then I have to try to pay attention to what it wants to be. Yeah. You know, I could try to force it to be something else if I wanted to. But in my experience, that doesn't lead to very good poetry. Like the poems that really work are the ones that carry you somewhere and you allow yourself to be taken by them. You know, it's I'm not a poet who sits down and says, today I'm going to write uh Today I'm going to write a poem about driving a mail truck around and you know delivering mail. Like I never sit down with an idea. If I had to have an idea, I would never write another poem in my life. I sit down and I read, I listen to music, right? Because poetry is not made out of 
deep feelings or grand experiences or even like uh, you know a Shakespearean vocabulary in some ways or knowing what the words mean in Shakespearean vocabulary. Poetry is made out of words. So where are you gonna get your words? And it's like, for me, it's like, I have to find the words every time I sit down to write. So I sit down and I read and, you know, I'm on the lookout. Like when something strikes me, I will immediately uh, write that down. And then I start trying to follow it. And I follow it in terms of the sounds. I follow it in terms of the meanings of the words. Um, you know, uh, I think today I sat down and I wrote a poem that's called, uh, for, I was looking at something and there was a, a landscape painting and it was just a sort of green, uh, lush landscape. And something clicked in my brain and I was like, landscape painting. And then suddenly I was like, writing this poem about being inside a painting that I can't actually escape from. And ultimately, the poem sort of points to the idea of the fact that, you know, we are all in some ways painted into the corner of who we are. And as much as we might want to try and escape that, um, sometimes it's hard to do. And so, when you're in that situation or when you start to be really cognizant of the fact of who you are, then imagination is the thing that can carry you somewhere else. And it may turn out that you begin to sort of love that corner that you're painted into, that you can find a way to, 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 to live harder. Um, so anyway, like that, you know, that's kind of like the, the goofy process that I go through. It's like landscape painting. Oh, weird. And then it's just like trying to follow that somewhere. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, I love the, I love the image. I was right there with you as you were describing it. And if we're not using some form of expression, whether it's painting or cooking or sewing or writing to send out the echogram, which we hope we put out there to somehow get this reverberation of ourselves that comes back, that we can own, that we can swallow, that we can taste, whatever that is. Think about how desolate that empty space would be. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there is a sense in which, you know, and this goes back to the sort of call and response idea, write poems to feel less alone. Right. And you like send these transmissions out into the world and you hope that someone hears them. Mm -hmm. and you hope that somebody gets back and not in the sense that they get back and they say your poems are fantastic like it's not it's not that it's about feeling like you were part of a process of trying to connect with the world and other people in a way that is recognizable and that reminds you and others of 
the fact that we're not alone. And I, I definitely think that friendship, connection, constellation, togetherness, all those things have been a major focus of my poetry for the last 20 years, um, more so than ever with familiar and the familiars and, um, you know, I, I try to write letters as often as I can to people too. Um, you know, it's just this, that sort of volleying back and forth, that reminder that we're not, that we don't necessarily have to be isolated, um, you know, was really important during the pandemic in a lot of ways. But um, I think it's important all the time. I taught a class last year at the Art Academy called um, Translation, Obliteration, Correspondence, and Friendship, um, where I tried to sort of link the idea, you know, a translation, right, is uh, in conversation with the source poem, but it's also in, in, in conversation with the source language, with the source culture, with the the history that comes with that. And I think of obliteration as this really um, particular version of translation where you make a translation and then you try to find ways to, um, ch to change that translation either antonymically or synonymically or uh, associ associatively in ways that make an entirely new poem that's completely unlike the original mm -hmm. um so you have translation obliteration and then you have correspondence right because you the all these things are sort of corresponding with each other both in terms of um being similar or sort of next to each other but also that they're talking back and forth and if you get to the point where you can achieve correspondence that is the beginning of the possibility of friendship and Friendship seems to me to be um, one of the most important aspects of being alive that we that we have. Um, to to have a friend is such an incredible thing to get to 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 be, to be a part of. It reminds me of being like in elementary school when you're so tender and vulnerable, and you're maybe the first few days of school. And there's somebody you think that, hey, they may be cool. You don't say that when you're eight, they may be cool, but you like, but you kind of go up to them and sort of inch your way closer to getting into their space. And there's that shyness and that purity. And then, you know, the, the word, first word is uttered. And then there's some correspondence or recognition that they may like me too you know, right. yeah. and even the question, will you be my friend? Right. Right. It's so sweet. You know, there's just something I, can I just go back to that? Time? Yeah. And it's such a sad thing when people, uh, uh, you know, uh, have sort of that, that kind of, that kind of vulnerability and generosity socialized out of them. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, I understand, like, we don't want to get hurt, right? But at the same time, like, I think you hurt more when you cut out the world and cut out other people and the possibility for new connections and new ideas and new feelings. Well, if you were to give some insight or inspiration for somebody who maybe has jotted a few words down on paper and thinks that they've written poetry, but they don't want to call it poetry or they enjoy writing, but they don't want to call themselves a writer. What would you want them to know to encourage them to get to open the door for themselves? I I mean, I think you should do the things that make you happy and that you enjoy. I don't think that everybody has to try to be a professional poet or, you know, I don't even know what that means, but I don't think that everybody has to be a poet or a writer. I think sometimes it's important for people to, to just get down their story or express themselves in terms of some medium or other. It could be language, it could be paint, it could be, you know, as you said, cooking, um, could be music. But I think that allowing yourself to express something um, maybe essential about who you are uh, is an important human activity. And, um, you know, I think that if you enjoy doing something uh, that doesn't hurt you or hurt anybody else, that you should do it more. (laughs) So that leaves the door wide open people, uh, depending on where your minds go. That's, you know, that's on you. (laughs) We cannot be held responsible. Right. Uh, so do you, do you have something handy that you can read a quick piece that you can share before we go? Because I would love people to hear your poetic voice. I read what I picked out of just a, of a quick thing, but I've heard you read your poetry in person and it's quite a show, but you don't have to pick something like too long or too strenuous, just something that is handy that we can hear your voice, your words. I think maybe I'll read a section from familiar if you're okay with that. Yes, absolutely. Um, Let me pull this up here. So familiar is in 52 sections. It's a, it's one long poem that's in 52 sections, uh, a la uh, Whitman's song of myself. And so essentially the way that I made familiar was that I um, translated uh, Walt Whitman's song of myself back into English from the Spanish of the uh, anti-fascist critic and poet Leon Philippe. <laughs> and then I wrecked the translation to try and make a whole new poem. So ambitious. Uh, here's, here's section 19. I mistake the grass for a desk and a typewriter. I translate the sky as a blue picnic blanket. There's plenty of room in the present for all of us. And while I have no idea what other people actually feel, it doesn't keep me from trying to feel it, from wanting to connect and being open to the connection. 
even the deep bog of it. And here on the smeary sun porch too, I'm open to whatever you want to send me. I'm open to the door that you've opened and stepping through. All the worlds invited, the concrete slab, the anger-fueled mother, the post-traumatic father, the broken glass riverboat, the bandages, the zoo. I make no distinctions, and I make only distinctions, but everybody feels things is something that's true. So here is my hand for you to squeeze like a lemon. What good for the world can be wrung from this song? Our hair in knots and our tongues hanging out, cicadas burrowing up out of the ground to see the garish sun and make more of themselves. This poem for the people who love us, who we love. And my image reflected in all the other images of all the other images of all the other images out before me. What has been, what is, what will, and what might be. Thus far, it seems my purpose is even hidden from me, if in fact I have one. Is it possible I have one the way the spring showers have one, or the way a black hole has one to gobble up suns? How mind-bogglingly strange that anything exists at all. Me, you, the daylight, a tractor. Is a red and yellow airplane strange? Is a rowboat, a chandelier, a raccoon, a vinyl record? Am I more astonished than I should be by the spark of life inside us and by the darkness that comes when inevitably it goes? I don't really have any good secrets other than eternity. And what can be said about that other than I guess we'll see, or here it comes, or someday. All I really have to show is this life which shows me. And all I have to tell is mostly mistaken, mm. an abbreviation of something which is always so much bigger. I don't say it very often, but let me be plain. I'm not sure who I am, who's speaking, what I mean. Damn. <laughs> That's beautiful. Wow. Just gorgeous. So much in that. I'm going to have to replay this. <laughs> of course, I've got the book. I already ordered it, but simply beautiful. Um, yeah, well, there you go. Matt Hart, in his own words, the book is familiar. It will be out uh, the beginning of November and um pickpocket books and uh your website where can people find you uh they can find me they can find the band at www.nevernew.net that's n-e-v-e-r-n-e-w uh they can find me at uh mattheartpoet.com you can also find me on instagram at forklift matt uh and at Never New Band. So all those places are places where people can reach me. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to share your ideas, your inspiration, your beliefs, your thoughts, your heart, your spirit, your words, all those, all those good things. It's um, always good for me, good reminders for me, good inspiration for me. Well, thanks, Jana. I'm like really glad to talk to you. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. If now's the time to unearth your story or you just have to write that book, 
Don't let fear or overwhelm stop you. Reach out. I'm here to help you achieve your creative writing dreams. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on this show, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. Hey, reach out. Find me at janalopez.com. 